This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. And welcome to the Three Lions Podcast. My name's Russell Osborne and I'm back with another of our European Championship lookbacks. We've covered 1980, 1988 and 1992, all of which are still available to listen to via your chosen podcast platform and indeed threelionspodcast.com. Thanks for all your comments so far despite the fact England haven't really been that convincing, to say the least. Until now, if you know nothing about Euro 96, sit back and relax. If you know a little, maybe you'll learn some more. And if you were there, well, let the memories flow. 30 years after the World Cup was held on home soil, the European Championships were held here in England for the first time. UEFA awarded it to us ahead of bids from Austria, Greece, the Netherlands and Portugal. It was a tournament of firsts. The first time 16 teams had featured as it had expanded from eight. And at the time of finalising bids, UEFA hadn't actually decided that the tournament would be expanded to 16. So all bids only factored in four venues. And it was the first time Golden Goal had been used to decide a game. In other words, once extra time had been started, it was school rules, next goal wins, and it was only used once throughout the whole tournament. And the championships featured, for the first time, a coloured ball, the first one to be used at a major football tournament, the Adidas Questra Europa. Now, following the World Cup failure, Graham Taylor stepped down as England manager and Terry Venables was appointed. As a player, he'd previously made two appearances for the Three Lions, both in 1964, and he was on Alf Ramsey's possibles list for 1966. Now, he had a spell as manager of Barcelona, where he'd been known as El Tel. He went on to manage Tottenham Hotspur, leading them to victory in the FA Cup, but Venables and Tottenham parted ways in May 1993, leaving him to be appointed as England manager in January 1994. Now, being hosts meant that England didn't have to go through a qualifying campaign. As they hadn't qualified for the World Cup of 1994, their last competitive match had been on the 17th of November 1993. A 7-1 away win against San Marino. Yep, that game where San Marino scored first after eight seconds. Between then and their opening game against Switzerland on the 8th of June 1996, they played 19 friendlies. 15 of them at Wembley. There was also the Umbro Cup, which was basically a rehearsal for the forthcoming tournament. Not just for Wembley but for the nation as a whole, as Goodison Park, Villa Park, Ellen Road and Nottingham Forest City Ground hosted matches between England, Brazil, Japan and Sweden. 
Brazil went on to win the competition, winning three out of three matches. Then there was also the infamous away game in Dublin that was abandoned due to crowd trouble during that period of time. And the last of those 19 friendlies was a little trip over to East Asia to play China and a Hong Kong Golden Select Eleven. Now England came away with two wins, but it was off the field that England grabbed the headlines. After the Hong Kong game, the team went off to celebrate Paul Gascoigne's forthcoming birthday in a club called China Jump. Photos emerged of the players with ripped t-shirts and having spirits tipped down their throats in the dentist chair. The sun splashed them on the front page with the headline, Disgrace Fool. There are also stories of the plane returning to England with smashed televisions on it. Our Euro 1996 tournament slogan was Football Comes Home. And it was enhanced by the Three Lions song as composed by comedians Frank Skinner and David Baddiel, West Brom and Chelsea fans respectively. And they had the help of popular band at the time, The Lightning Seeds. The song was to be sung from the Wembley terraces as England progressed through the competition. the official track though that was done by Mick Hucknall's Simply Red and their song We're In This Together which they performed at the opening and closing ceremony Your Royal Highness, my Lords, Ladies and Gentlemen welcome to Wembley Stadium and the opening ceremony of the 1996 European Football Championship Finals The opening ceremony was held at Wembley before the opening game between England and Switzerland. It featured the usual dancers in each participating nation's colours, a large dragon and St George on horseback running around the dog track that separated the pitch from the terraces. Many old England players from various eras walked out onto the pitch to be greeted. Stanley Matthews, Jimmy Greaves, Ray Clements, Ray Wilkins... Glenn Hoddle and Gary Lineker. Stanley Matthews then unveiled a large Henry Delaunay trophy in the middle of the pitch. Before skydivers entered the stadium from above with participating nations flags attached. The Duke of Kent then announced the tournament open as balloons emerged from that trophy Sir Stanley Matthews had uncovered. And I now declare open... 1996 European Football Championship Final. Alongside Wembley, there were seven other stadiums in use. Newcastle's St James's Park, Liverpool's Anfield, Manchester United's Old Trafford, Aston Villa's Villa Park, Nottingham Forest City Ground, Sheffield Wednesday's Hillsborough and Leeds United's Elland Road. And alongside England in Group A, were Switzerland, Scotland and the Netherlands. Group B consisted of France, Spain, Bulgaria and Romania. Group C, Germany, Czech Republic, Italy and Russia. And finally in Group D, Portugal, Croatia, Denmark and Turkey. 
The squads had now increased from 20 players in 1992 to 22 now in 1996. Terry Venables opted for the following. In goal, three players, David Seaman, Tim Flowers and Ian Walker. Defenders, Gary and Phil Neville. Stuart Pearce, Tony Adams, Gareth Southgate, Steve Howey and Sol Campbell. In midfield, Paul Ince, David Platt, Paul Gascoigne, Darren Anderton, Nick Barmby, Jamie Redknapp, Steve McManaman and Steve Stone. And four players up front, Alan Shearer, Teddy Sheringham, Les Ferdinand and Robbie Fowler. Of course, the combination of Alan Shearer and Teddy Sheringham became known as the SAS, Shearer and Sheringham. What a summer and what a tournament it was about to become. Whilst many went to the games around the country, lots more only saw it through the television. With the BBC... TV. Now, let's talk with another England fan who was part of it. Now let's go back to Euro 1996 in the next of our podcasts that look at England at the European Championships. And I'm pleased to say Dean Cornish, England, regular England fan, is going to join us and, and share his memories from that tournament. Dean, hello there. Hello, Russell. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Looking forward to this, uh, this good chat about Euro 96. Yeah, well, I mean, with a tournament this year that is home-based, I'm guessing that we're going to be hearing a lot about, or people reminiscing about, not just World Cup 66, but Euro 96 as well, simply because of the amount of games that England, hopefully, (laughs) are going to be playing at home. Let's start with England and yourself. Where did it all start? Well, I mean, to be honest, for me as an England fan, I, I suppose I've really got into following the national team probably around 1986, 1990. You know, obviously England's fantastic showings in the World Cups then. You know, I was eight years of age in uh, 86 and then obviously 12 in, in 1990. I, I loved England. I loved football generally anyway. But I was even as a young lad, I was quite patriotic. And of course, then when you, you know, you, we knew that the the tournament in uh, in 96, the Euros was going to be in England, I was I was gagging to get tickets. I mean, for me, it was I, I was 18 at the time of, of 1996. It was my first tournament experience, of course. I'd been to a few sort of friendlies at, at Wembley and maybe the odd qualifier. But, you know, to actually go and watch England in a tournament, uh, it was absolutely superb. I'd, I'll never forget it. It was the summer I was doing my A-levels. Um, So I had a few other things going on at the time. (laughs) So I couldn't get to as many games as I wanted to. But I was um, I was at the Scotland game, which was on a Saturday, which was which was absolutely brilliant, you know, in so many ways. Because it was the, you know, the game where we sort of, I suppose, started to take control of the group. Obviously, it was against Scotland, which is always massive anyway. And it was a, you know, sunny summer Saturday. You know, what, what more could you want? 
Yeah, no, that was that was in fact my very first England game, um, and I, I remember that one um, as you would with any first game. And you're right, it was it was blazingly warm and, and sunny that day, and the, and the pitch just looked perfect for a for a game. Yeah, I mean that was the great thing, wasn't it, about the old Wembley? You could, when the sun shone, you know, you had the the, the shadows of the twin towers on the pitch, and I, I think it was a three o'clock kickoff, so the, the shadows were just as they used to be on a FA Cup final day. Yeah, you know, everything about that day was for me was superb. I mean, I remember obviously after the after the win, driving back up the North Circular, and I I remember seeing lads like they're all outside the pubs, all you know, everyone's beeping each other, and you know, flags were flying. Anyway, it was just it was a great time to be a, to be an England fan. It really was. But I do remember during the game, obviously, you know, everyone knows about Paul Gascoigne's goal, obviously the the second. But it was the penalty save for me yeah. that was the, that was the that was the the bigger roar. You know, that it was absolute bedlam when Seaman saved that penalty from from McAllister. It was absolutely brilliant. And obviously, you know, we know we all went up the, up the other end and scored and it was it was still pandemonium, obviously, at that point. But for me, the bit that, that sticks in my mind was when that penalty was saved. It was it was superb. Well, there was a few instances in that game. Everyone remembers the, the penalty save. Everyone remembers Gazza's goal and, and the dentist chair that followed. But poor old Alan Shearer often gets forgotten yeah. for, uh, for setting yeah. us up for that that day. Yeah, I know. To be honest, I don't really remember the the goal, even even though I've sort of seen it back on on YouTube and the like. Uh, no. But he kind of gets omitted from that day. It does, yeah. I mean, it was funny. Shearer generally in in that tournament. I mean, he was he was absolutely superb. But you know, just before the tournament, he he couldn't score for for Toffee. Really, I think he. I don't know exactly how many games it was, but maybe there was ten games or so before before the tournament started, and he he wasn't scoring like he obviously had been in the. In the Premier League, obviously, as it was at the time, or well, obviously still is. But yeah, when he, as soon as he scored the, his first goal against Switzerland, wasn't it in the first game? Yeah, you could sort of tell that he was going to go on a go on a run then, and uh, and that he did. I mean, he was he was great throughout. It was uh, he was sheer, you know, for his his absolute best for England. Do you reckon that was because we didn't have any qualifiers? That sort of the pressure was off. Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, you, you could say that. I, I suppose it's, it's strange, isn't it, when you when you host a tournament? Because you say you don't you don't get any real football for a couple of years beforehand, do you? No. Um, so maybe it was partly to do with the pressure. Maybe maybe you just didn't get any luck. You know, and it's not easy scoring goals in international football. And you know, it's a cliche, obviously, but often you can you go a few games without a goal, then suddenly you get one, and then they they flow from there, don't they? Yes. Yeah. You're right. How did you go about getting your tickets? Because I seem to remember, I mean, I only went to the one game during the tournament, but I got it through, and the name of this bank always, I always forget it, but I got it through a bank. I had to apply through a bank, and it was a it was a bank with a yellow logo. That's all I can remember. Right. I don't I remember that, but I remember having a paper application. It was like a sort of card leaflet almost, and you sort of just basically filled out the games or the tickets you wanted and sent it off. And I, I wouldn't say it was guaranteed that you were getting those tickets, but I certainly didn't have any problems. Um, I, one of my, I think the tickets I had for the Scotland game were good tickets. I think I might have gone for like one of the higher category mm. tickets, knowing that would be the, the more difficult one to get. But the Spain game, I also went to the Spain game, which obviously was the quarterfinal. And we just thought we were going to win the group. So we applied for, you know, the as you do, the quarterfinals, group winner of Group A or whoever it was. And I think we paid 35 quid a ticket. Which is still great, isn't it? Um, 
Which is still great, yeah. I was behind the goal, obviously, at Wembley, which, you know, you were quite a way back, weren't you, at the at the old Wembley? Yeah. Behind the goal in the Spain game, but I was I was pretty much on the halfway line for the for the Scotland game. But yeah, I, I certainly don't remember it being a hassle. I don't remember, you know, obviously this was pre-internet days, so, you know, you weren't having to download the UEFA app or, you know, I, I don't remember CAP certainly. Well, I wasn't a travel club member at the time, so CAP certainly wouldn't have come into it. I'm not even sure if there, if there was a travel club at the time. Maybe there was, but maybe caps weren't a thing then. But yeah, I, I certainly remember it being pretty easy to get a ticket. Yeah, certainly different to to times of now where it's a, a little harder to get a ticket for a tournament, or the or the procedure is slightly different. Yeah, exactly, and and certainly, well, I, I don't know when I applied, but I'm not sure it was seven or eight months beforehand. Maybe it was. I, I don't know. You know, the, the memory fails me a little bit, but but it, I, I remember sort of thinking. Right, here's my application form. Here's my bit of card. It was the bit I remember there was that it was green. There was a green sort of four page sort of, um, you know, leaflet type thing. So literally wrote in, you know, I want four tickets for the Spain game, three tickets for the Scotland game. This category, this is the price I'll, I'll pay. Tick that box. You probably have to put your bank card details on there, sent it off, and it was, yeah, it was easy. So well, I mean, we've we've missed one game in the middle there, which is is the one that that often yeah. gets spoken about because it, well, starting at the beginning where the that Switzerland game it, it wasn't the best of games, but it it got us up and going, and then the Scotland game was where where the country really got be got behind the team, and then it was the the four one game against Holland, the last group game, yeah. where it. It just went berserk, didn't it? It did. I mean, I, I remember I had two A levels the next day. I think it was on maybe on a on a Wednesday night or a Thursday night, and I definitely had two A levels the next day. But I still managed to uh, to get out to the pub to watch it in my in my hometown, Stamford. And as you say, it was it was bedlam. You know, absolutely brilliant. Because obviously England, I, I think before the before the tournament started, everyone feared that Holland team. You know, it was the Holland of um, you know Cliver, Burkamp. And we absolutely play them off the park. And it, it was, I think, as any England fan knows, often, you know, England, we've, we've had many episodes where we've, where we've beaten poor teams or, or mid-ranking teams. But beating a really good team is actually quite rare, certainly in terms of tournaments. You know, mm. it, it's, it's rare that we do it. And, and that Holland team was a, was a proper belting team. And we played them off the park. We didn't just beat them. It, we absolutely, you know, we played superbly. I, I still think about... The goal, obviously, where Gascoigne dribbles it around a little bit on the left, lays it across to uh, Sheringham, who's just, I guess, on the D, lays it across with the right of his, or plays it to the right to Alan Shearer, comes on first time, right foot into the top right corner of the net. To me, that goal is as special in that tournament as Gascoigne's because it was a team goal. You know, it was the one that really sort of showed our dominance in that game. Oh, it was, it was, it was brilliant. Yeah. And, and, and it's the first time I remember as well watching uh, a big England game in a pub where there was where there was atmosphere maybe that's because of my age maybe because I was only 18 I'd probably not been you know out into you know watching tournaments well in fact I'm sure I had because 94 obviously we didn't qualify and before that I would have just been at home with my parents watching it I guess but I certainly remember there being atmosphere in in the pub you know everyone suddenly starting to get behind the whole three lion song which which was a bit of a slow burner, really. I mean, I, I I remember first hearing Three Lions before the tournament and liking it, but people weren't singing it. You know what I mean? It wasn't something that people were singing, certainly not on the on the terraces or in the pubs. But it it suddenly started all taking shape in that game. It was uh, it, it it was superb. And actually, as well, I know I talked about the the Scotland game 
being on a Saturday afternoon, which is, you know, special for English football fans, three o'clock, you know, Wembley Saturday afternoon. But actually having a game that's an evening game was that made it even more special as well, because, you know, under the floodlights at Wembley, a belting atmosphere, because obviously the Dutch brought, you know, a number of fans as Scotland had as well. But the Dutch are a very vocal fan base. And, you know, it, it was quite weird seeing, I remember seeing like the, the away end of the, you know, the Dutch just on the television, obviously. And it's, I, I suppose you, it was rare to, to get big international away followings, but to see that in, you know, in Euro 96, see the Dutch there and, you know, obviously England playing as, as they did and the, uh, the Dutch being quietened down for, uh, you know, for in, in that regard, it was, it was brilliant. It was a really, really memorable night. And, um, I wasn't drinking much because obviously I had my A-levels the next day, but I remember just sort of bouncing out of that pub and I, I actually reckon I probably did better in my A-levels the next day just because, you know, when you're just so happy, you just, you yeah. know, it, it was, and everyone then started to look forward to the, to the knockout rounds and it was, uh, oh, it, it was, it was superb. And you mentioned the the three lions there. Was it that game where there's footage of Frank Skinner and David Baddiel sort of jumping around in I don't think it was actually the royal box but certainly in that sort of area um was it that game where they were were shown shown on telly I, th- I think it was and I think that's when everyone you know as I said started realizing what a big thing that song had, had become maybe, maybe it was after the Scotland game I, I can't quite remember but certainly early on in the tournament it definitely wasn't sung in in uh, at Wembley and yeah, everyone was so jubilant that night, weren't they? Yeah. So, you know, fair play to Baddiel and Skinner, who are, you know, proper England football fans. That, you know, they'd been part of that that song, obviously, with the lightning seeds. And, you know, why wouldn't they celebrate it? And, and I know now it's special to me that you hear them talking about that summer and them saying that when they started to hear fans singing it in the ground, you know, to them it was massively special. And actually that song is still sung now, not only by England fans, but, you know, the tune is sung as you know, football chants around the world, isn't it? You know, not even anything to do with it's coming home or anything like that. You know, that, that, that actual tune is, has become synonymous with, um, with football songs. Yeah, no, it's, it's worked its way uh, around football grounds in various guises. I know what you mean. Uh, yeah. So that Spain game, the quarter final was one really after the, like the two preceding victories, which were, I say the, the emphatic one. Well, actually going back to that Holland one, it was the Holland goal that actually put Scotland out, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah I think Clivert scored, didn't he? That to, for them to get the uh, the one in the, in the four one, you're right. Yeah, Scotland would have gone through on goal difference had it been four nil, which yeah. I don't I don't think I I certainly don't remember realizing that at the time. But of course, you know when you did find that out later on, it it sort of became you know quite funny, really. You know everyone loves to. Uh, to see Scotland fail and, and <laughs> you know that was that was it and actually maybe I do remember something maybe I do remember actually when he scored maybe they panned to Villa Park which I think was where Scotland were playing and maybe I do remember you know sort of laughing at the time who knows but yeah it was um it certainly made it even more special that, that Scotland didn't get through yeah uh, as I say so we went on to that quarter final to play Spain and it wasn't straightforward following those two victories over Scotland and, and Holland, was it? 
No, it wasn't. No. I mean, I think everyone thought after the, the Holland game that we'd go on and breeze past everyone and, uh, you know, and win it at, at, at a canter. But, you know, I suppose anyone who's, who knows England generally knows that that's, that's never the case, isn't it? You often have a good performance followed by a, followed by a poor one. Yeah. And we weren't great in that game. And actually, we should have gone out, shouldn't we? Because in extra time, they scored and it was flagged offside. Um, and the, the end where they scored, I was behind that goal. And I, I can't necessarily remember whether I thought it was offside or onside, but I remember just sinking down, thinking that that's it. And then obviously, you know, the the flag had gone up and the the referee disallowed it. And uh, you know, I suppose jubilant after that. Then obviously it goes to penalties. It was very nerve wracking, very nerve wracking. I guess we obviously could pan out that we were going to be playing Germany in the semi final, and you know, everyone wanted the revenge for 1990 and obviously anyone, everyone wanted to get through anyway, but I think that the possibility of playing Germany in in the next round made it more special. So yeah, I, I remember I was, I was with my best mate actually, who's subsequently been my best man at my wedding whenever that was five or so years ago. So I've, I've known him for, for at least probably 25, 30 years and I was with him and um, we've always, you know, loved football together, me and this lad. And I just remember sort of, you know, when you're so nervous that every time, you know, they're, they're attacking, especially in extra time, you know, when it gets towards the, the end of the game, whenever the opposition were attacking, you just we were almost sort of holding each other, you know, just hoping <laughs> that they wouldn't score. But yeah, and then obviously, you know, when it went to penalties. Um, I guess everyone was thinking in their heads going back to like 1990. Yeah. I mean, that was still so raw. You know, I, I, I remember, I mean, it was only six years previously, so I was I was a twelve year old and I, I definitely remember watching that at home with my with my parents and crying my eyes out. You know, yeah, me too. Pierce, you know, I, I I was I was absolutely sickened. So yeah, for us to get the chance for uh, for a bit of retribution, and obviously you should mention as well that obviously nineteen ninety four we'd we'd not qualified for for that tournament. We've been pretty poor in nineteen ninety two. So suddenly, you know, we're we're back in. In tournament football, we're back, you know, with a, with a chance of, of of winning something, and it comes down to the the dreaded penalties again. And obviously, Stuart Pearce, the protagonist in all of it, um, you know, after his uh, his um, penalty was saved in 1990 for him to step up again, and that's the mark of Stuart Pearce, isn't it? You you knew that he's the sort of bloke he's, he was never going to shirk it, he was never going to not take one. And and I think everyone knew as well the sort of penalties that Stuart Pearce took. He was never going to do a Penenka, was he? No. <laughs> it, it was never going to be sort of you know gleefully sort of glanced into the into the side netting. He was going to rifle it in, and then six years of of pain for him just flooded out of him like a you know like a monster coming out of his mouth screaming and you know sort of almost beating his chest. It was absolutely brilliant. But I, I didn't see any of that. I mean, obviously, I saw that the, the penalty went in. But I don't remember, certainly not at the time, seeing Stuart Pearce's celebration. You know, his was, fame now, we've seen it obviously on telly and, you know, YouTube a million times since. But but I don't remember seeing seeing that at the time. Was that your end that you were, were at? Yeah, were they, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was. And yeah. it was, it, even now thinking about it, it is one of those moments where the, the hairs on the back of your neck sort of go yeah. up. Um, yeah. And just, just seeing his... His face, his emotion, as you say, yeah. just that passion, just just coming out of him, and and the relief that that must have given him yeah. um, to get that get that in the net and and get us through to the next round, really, which was the semi final. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Stuart Pearce, he's 
he's an embodiment of an England fan, isn't he? I think yeah. all of us England fans who travel with a team, you want the team or you want the players to love playing for England as much as we love watching England. You want them to be fans themselves. You want them to really sort of take on that sort of, you know, the same patriotism that the, that the fans have got. And, and Stuart Pearce is, he's definitely one of those who, who've got it. And, and, um, and I've actually got a picture of that the picture of Stuart Pierce screaming. I've got it in a, a photo, you know, a copy photograph of it signed actually oh. um, in my house now. It's 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 one of those uh, one of those iconic pictures that that you know you'll you'll never forget. And for me, as as an England fan, it's it's absolutely brilliant. Lucky you signed one. Yeah. So you're leading me on to the semi final, and then I, I went back to Stuart Pierce. So. That's right. But yeah, the semi final, I actually had a leavers ball that night the school as i mentioned it was it was my a levels that year and at that point we'd finished our our a levels and we had our leavers ball so i even though i i mean i hadn't ordered a ticket beforehand there were tickets that were available i think obviously the allocation to to england i, I remember hearing after the spain game that there were eleven thousand tickets on sale to england fans wow and of course me and my pal were like you know we really want to go but it was our it was our school you know leavers thing which you know, we'd. I guess it seems strange now to say it took priority, but but it mm. seemed to at the time. I don't know why. So we went along to that, and I remember the the lad who was organising it from our school. He got a TV. You know, how you could back in the nineties, you had to, you know, wheel in a TV or something like you know, <laughs> like, like in a sort of classroom. And we all sat around and um, watched it at, at this uh, at this do. Much to the annoyance, I think, of you know all the all the women who'd sort of come along and you know were in their best dresses. I don't think many of them wanted to watch the football, but but we all did. But it obviously ruined the night because you know although we had such a great start with Shearer's header after four minutes, everyone's thinking right we're gonna we're gonna cruise this now and then it's gonna be a almost a, an easy final against the Czech Republic. But yeah, Shearer scored and then obviously they came back and then I, I mean my biggest memory when I think back to that game now was obviously Gascoigne sliding in, you know, their keeper. I forgot his name now. Uh, But anyway, I remember the ball came across. I think it was Anderson squared it. And Gascoigne sort of almost hesitated because he thought the keeper was going to get his hand on it. And obviously didn't. And it it came across the, you know, just inside the six-yard line. Gascoigne, you know, sixes his foot out and he's just almost if it had an extra half an inch on his stud, he would have got a stud on it. It would have gone in and... um, I mean that obviously, if, you know, if it, if it had done, then as I said, I think we would have easily won the final, and uh, we wouldn't be talking of sixty years of hurt as we are now. Yeah, that's right. There was there was one thing about, and I'm sure it was this game. Um, and I remember watching it, uh, the BBC, and I think it would have been John Motson, and I think it was the phrase. Uh, there was a German player who I think he it was him that that equalised. Was it Kunst? Yeah. Um, and, and he famously well, said, "Here comes the Germans, Kunst." Yes. on the ball <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, it makes me laugh yeah yeah um, no, it was and, and actually that's another thing about and maybe i'm just getting a bit wistful in my old age but the commentary as well of euro 96 the the commentators like barry davis john motson you know they, these guys were iconic in my youth they're iconic when i listen back to it now there's Lynham, you know yeah. i think he said um at the start of the semi-final coverage um you know, good evening. In case you didn't know, there's a game on tonight or something, you know, because obviously everyone in the country was was sitting down for this game. It literally that was probably the biggest, you know, television event of the of the 90s, barring Lady Diana's funeral or something like that. You know, it, it was it was so massive. And 
you know, to, to look back now on, on YouTube and hear those those commentators like Davis and Motson, who to me are, are head and shoulders above a lot of the guys that you that you hear nowadays. Maybe that's just me because I'm old and I'm, you know, you sort of um, you always think, look back with rose tinted glasses. Who knows? But but yeah, it was uh, it was a real special time. Yeah. So we went on to the well after the the penalties that we'd had against Spain that had all gone our way, and and Stuart Pearce had obviously. Uh, expelled those demons we were back in another penalty shootout weren't we yeah and um well the first one was was Shearer wasn't it Shearer banged his in as as he always did I'm sort of guessing that but I think then we had Sheringham put Sheringham, his away yeah Gascoigne definitely put his away as well weirdly Ince didn't take one I, I can't remember maybe Anderton took one and scored and it was so it was five all wasn't it? I think we I think did everyone score their penalties in in sort of the the sort of normal penalties then of course they took the sixth one uh no sorry Southgate took it took the sixth one first I think obviously it got saved and then it was the chat with the moustache who uh who, who, who stuck the Germans one away for um for them to win and yeah Just... I'll, never, I'll never forget his smug face either the, the the German lad put his in can't remember his name and he sort of turned around and he almost did a little bit of an Alan Pardew dance you know in Alan Pardew in the FA Cup final a few yeah. years and he just had this smug face with his moustache was that uh, Moller? might have been might have yeah. been I, I can't remember but but yeah I mean it, it still annoys me now 30 years on I obviously Gareth Southgate as as every time he, he's interviewed unfortunately he gets asked about it but he, there was a, a great picture taken or, or edited last year during the the World Cup where it showed him dejected after missing the penalty i think he had his his hand over his nose and over his mouth and there was a, a 2018 gareth southgate being edited in to to put his arm around him which i thought was a, a wonderful uh, touch yeah yeah but yeah it kind of it's, kind of made him really i think last year and uh, after that miss yeah i think so i think you could you could see you know obviously in the columbia game you could see what it meant to him he he's not quite the same sort of bloke who's going to have a stuart pierce moment is he but well, although actually he did he did do a bit of a chest beat didn't he at, yeah at he's the, had his moments yeah he did yeah i mean maybe not so much as stuart pierce but yeah you could you can see what it what it means to southgate actually and i think uh, you know a lot of england fans might not have been so excited about him i certainly wasn't when he first took the job and I've still actually, if I'm honest, I've got reservations about him tactically, you know, when it comes to a, you know, let's say a, a big semi-final or a big quarter-final like we might have next year or, or or this, you know, upcoming tournament. But obviously he has done a fantastic job with with galvanising the team, you know, make, maybe making them realise what it is to play for England, making them all, you know, one unit and, you know, making maybe making England fun again for some of those players. Yeah, I think you're right. He's passed on that experience, and and those players that that are playing under him, maybe they, maybe they were in the same position as as we we are watching it. I'm maybe just a little bit too young, but they've certainly all seen it on on the yeah. likes of YouTube and and that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I really think it without trying without sort of sounding you know parochial or xenophobic. I, I really do think it it makes a big difference having an England manager, a being English and b having played for England. I think, you know, they can pass along, you know, the the sort of 
you know, the, the mantle of being England players onto onto England. It's like England players go onto England managers and then they, you can talk to the current players about what it was like in the past and explain to them, you know, how important it is. And, and also the, the current players probably look at that manager and think, well, he's, you know, he's been there and done it. So I'll, I'll listen to him. Whereas, you know, obviously we had the, the Sven and, and Fabio Capello experiments. I mean, I, I actually quite like the Sven era. I, I didn't think Sven did as bad a job as, as people make out. But obviously Capello, um, although we were very good in qualifying, we were abysmal, weren't we, in, in yeah. 2010. And I just, I don't think he, I don't think they really, or certainly Capello didn't quite get it. And then other England managers who, who might be English, like let's say McLaren, but, you know, they hadn't played for England. You know, I, I think it does make a difference. And Glenn Hoddle obviously had played for England, and I, and I thought Glenn Hoddle did a did do a good job. You know, maybe that's a similar sort of thing. In '98, we were unlucky to go out to Argentina. Obviously, you know the Beckham sending off, and even even after having Beckham sent off and playing with ten men, we still matched Argentina. We obviously just went out in penalties in that game. So I didn't think Hoddle did a bad job, and maybe maybe Southgate's you know a similar sort of guy. He's, you know, an ex England player, and um, he's getting his England team playing well. Yes, no, I totally agree. So how do you see it going then this year? Um, how do I see it going? Well, I think we'll get out of the group. Um, I think we'll we'll play well in the group. Um, I think we've got a pretty favourable draw. I think we'll beat the Czech Republic. I think it was probably a good thing that we lost to them in qualifying recently because I think that'll mean that they'll the team will, won't take them lightly. They'll concentrate. They'll want to get a bit of retribution. So I think we'll beat them. I think Croatia... Similar, use the word retribution, obviously, after, um, you know, Russia the other year. I think the England players will be up for that, like they were in the Nations League when we played them in that. So I think we'll get through the group. Hopefully we play Scotland. That's the uh, that's the other thing. It'd, it'd be superb if Scotland do get that through their, their playoff. It's probably the only time I'd actually want Scotland to, uh, to win a couple of games. We really would so, evoke memories of 96 then, wouldn't we? Yeah, it would. And it'll be, a, it'll be a Friday night game, I think, the Scotland game, if they do get through. I mean, and that would be... Absolutely brilliant. So yeah, I think we'll get through the group, and then obviously, you know, it's it's knockout football, isn't it? We've got if we win the group, which I think we will, we've obviously got a difficult second round game in in Dublin against one of the big boys. Then, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's against the you know whoever's in the the group of death. And this is what I was saying about Southgate: is if we have a knockout game against a Germany, Italy, Spain, Holland. Are we going to beat them? And whilst I might think we've got a good team and I think that Southgate's done a good job, I don't know, to be honest. I don't know. Maybe it's because so often England fail against the big teams in tournaments. You know, we've we've got to semi-finals in 2018, um, obviously talking of World Cups in, in 1990 as well. And if we're honest, we've had quite an easy run up to those semi-finals. In Euro 96, you know, you, you could argue, well, we were lucky against Spain and we had home advantage. So when it comes to the, the big games, England often are caught a little bit short. And I, I just think with Southgate, I think we, I don't know, I think we might be. I, I think we'd need, we'd need a bit of luck in, in that second round game. If we get through that, then I'm not sure who we'd get in the quarterfinal. Then we'd be in Rome, wouldn't be, or, or St. Petersburg. Again, it'll be a difficult game. But obviously get through that and then you're back at Wembley and you'd hope that, you know, a semi-final and then final at Wembley, you'd hope we should be able to 
maybe do it. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm normally really positive, and I, I, my, my phrase at the start of every tournament is I always say, we can win this. Because I, I, it's a phrase from Escape to Victory where I think it's half time. They're all in the, you know, the bath water's coming out. They're all about to escape. And I think it's Michael or Michael Cade or someone else says, we're, we're not escaping. We can win this. <laughs> and, and I always think that before every tournament. And I'd love to say we can win this, obviously, you know, Euro 2020. But I, I worry tactically. I worry that when we get a, a come up against a big team, I think we might fall a little bit short unless we get to the semi-final. And then hopefully the power of Wembley, the power of the England fans will drive it, will drive us through and, and uh, you know, and win it. But I don't know. I'm, I'm not, I, I wouldn't say I'm overly confident, Russell. Well, let's maybe Gareth Southgate should put a DVD on of that 4-1 game against Holland. Yeah. In the, in the dressing room. Yeah. Well, I, and I'll tell you what, actually, what, one thing that hopefully there'll be a re-release of, of, of Three Lions or someone else will do a, a decent football song that captures the nation because you almost need that, especially with a sort of home tournament. You need something that's, that's going to galvanise everyone, whether that's a, you know, the big win against Holland or whether that's a, you know, a, a, a great song or, or, or a cracking absolute, whatever it is, you, you almost need something to like, like the touch paper. And in Euro 96, it was either the Holland game or it was obviously beating Scotland. But before that, you know, the Switzerland game, it was a little bit, I don't know, it, it felt a little bit flat. You know, the opening ceremony wasn't, wasn't amazing. It felt a little bit flat. And, and I think if we, going into that tournament next year, hopefully there's either a, one massive performance at Wembley or there's a good song or something, just something just to get everyone massively up for it like they were in 2018 as well obviously you know the whole country got behind Southgate's boys then and hopefully it'll be the same in the summer of 2020 yeah let's hope so I don't and going back to the song there I mean I, I wouldn't know but any other countries have a, a a song to uh to go with their national team oh, I'm not aware of anyone that does um no um I can't think of any actually and I've I've watched quite a lot of football abroad. I've, I've lived in lived in Spain for a bit, and I spend a lot of time in Brazil. But I've I can't think of any any sort of similar song that's synonymous with with their with the national football team. No, and I, no, I don't think there is. Well, well, this is the opportunity is there for someone do a uh, do a new order or a, a Frank Skinner and David Baddiel three lions again, as you yeah. say. The only other thing to say on that is famously. The Germans love a bit of three lines as well, don't they? That's they, they often still sing "It's Coming Home Now," even though it's obviously our song in English from our tournament. Obviously, with them with them winning that tournament, they I remember it, and it still rankles me now. Thinking of Klinsmann and um, and some of the other German players on the balcony, and maybe I think it might have been Munich actually. They had a, like, a little presentation, you know, as as teams do after they get back to their their country. They have a you know open top bus ride. And then they all sang in sort of poor English, it's coming home. And I remember at the time being really annoyed with it, and I'm still annoyed now. <laughs> but then, And then they adapted it to obviously to the German, it's comp, nach Haus, it's comp, nach Haus, which, um, which, yeah, you think they might be able to get their own football songs. Well, I'm, I've got mem- I've got uh, visions now of, of open top buses with, with Gareth Southgate with that trophy now. Oh yes, going all around Trafalgar Square and up and down the country—it'd be great. Yeah. Wouldn't that be brilliant? I, I, I remember um, just coming back from 1990 when we just got to the semi-finals. There was an open-top bus ride in Luton. I think That's right. 
the team landed in Luton and then they did an open top bus ride around around there. And that's when Gascoigne had his um, fake breasts out, didn't he? I, I, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, brilliant. I mean, if it could be something similar, yeah, this summer it would be, oh, it'd be, it'd be great. It really would. Watch out, Luton. England are coming for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dean, thank you very much for uh, for sharing your memories there. No problem. Yeah, let, let's hope for a, uh, another successful tournament. Yeah, indeed. Thanks a lot, Russell. Thanks to Dean Cornish there and his memories of a great tournament. Oh, so close. Penalty saves, penalty wins, glorious Gaza and the Germans again. As we said at the beginning, with this year's tournament being held partially at home, hopefully we can have some similar memories to make, what with Wembley once again being at the centre of it all. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. Don't forget, all the previous Three Lions podcasts are available, including Euros 1980, 88 and 92. Just search your podcast provider or take a look at threelionspodcast.com. Plus, I'd be grateful if you could leave a positive review on the likes of iTunes or Spotify. It means that the podcast gets a little more exposure and more people have the opportunity to find it. So until the next time, cheers. Cheers.